Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is Chris Morin, the COO of Greetly. Chris is accountable for achieving Greetly's business objectives and serves as a thought partner to the CEO. A major element of his role is anticipating the needs of their team. This includes defining the rights and positions before they exist and recognizing which structures of the business might change for them to grow. Additionally, Chris serves as the CFO and owns the brand and product of an emerging DoD-focused product. Prior to Greeley, Chris was the first hire and ran operations at VHO, going through the Techstars Boulder Acceleration Program. The company scaled rapidly, going from zero to one million ARR in about a year. They were a logistics-heavy technology startup and had to anticipate the needs of the business. It required a very special kind of mindset from anyone who wanted to work with them. Since they often defaulted to action, were extremely results-oriented, yet had to work within tight resource constraints. Before both of those roles, Chris was a special tactics officer of the Air Force for eight years. He was blessed to serve in leadership positions, and one of his favorite assignments was a deployment where he led around 50 soldiers spread across Iraq and Syria. Chris utilized a core team, and together they dissected, or sorry, directed six distinct types of missions and performed everything from field surgical care on the front lines of Syria, engineering surveys of dry lake beds in the middle of the desert, and more. Outside of work, Chris lives in Denver and enjoys traveling, also enjoys snow and water sports. Some examples are snowboarding in Colorado or kite surfing in Hawaii. He recently got help to teach his six-year-old son to snowboard, and he's now hooked. Chris hopes he'll be ready to come on more adventures with him soon. So, Chris, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Pretty cool, actually. I wanted to ask about what it was like working around Brad from uh, Techstars, Brad Feld. Yeah, Um one, the Techstars program um, was a was a blessing to go through. Um, Brad came in and and we got to hear him speak. He obviously manages a lot of the different programs, but right there in Boulder, we had the opportunity right. to have a little bit extra access to him. Um, but when he came in immediately, like the founders are hitting him with challenges and thinking their problems are very unique, and and he had a very special way of of kind of dissolving that and. And making everybody realize like the challenges that all these different these ten com- like companies in the cohort were going through were really the same thing, and you can kind of apply the same principles and practices to help get your company off the ground and help to help to solve the problems that you're doing. Um, and he just uh, you know delivered that message really really great. Yeah, he really does understand the founders kind of the the innovators dilemma that that Carl uh, Christensen came out with, and he really understands the the bipolar nature of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial organizations as well. I've I've had a lot of back channel discussions with Brad over um, Twitter about the highs and lows of CEOs. So it's interesting that you you write being in Boulder, you had more access. How how is your CEO? Is he the typical entrepreneurial bipolar ADD CEO or, or are you blessed to have one of the rare, rare ones who's not? You know, um, I, I definitely have, uh, have that, you know, the, one of the toughest parts of dealing with uh, a CEO is, you know, they've got a lot of great ideas. Um, and, you know, as a COO, it's kind of our job to, to measure those ideas. Sometimes to outright say, no, it's not within budget, but like, if, if there really is that vision there, well, shoot, maybe that's the most important thing. Mm. And so how do you, how do you cage that? 
Um, does it require a, a whole shift in our business in order to achieve this vision and really communicating those trade-offs? So like um, I'd say my current CEO definitely uh, is a bit of a good idea fairy in that element, um, but that's a good thing. We want that. And and at the end of the day, it's his job to, to be creative and, and come up with the next novel thing that you know might change or, or morph our business in, in the best way. So. Well, and I think it's, it's it's also just understanding. I don't think bipolar is actually a disorder. I think it actually makes entrepreneurs what what makes us us. And the ADD, the attention deficit, is actually the reality that we get to see everything, and we don't get so myopically focused on one thing that we miss all the other stuff. There's a, a pretty well known entrepreneur based in Boulder that I hired, and, and he worked for me back in 1993. Um, and he's classically bipolar, Kimball Musk. I hired Kimball out of university and trained him to be an entrepreneur for me at College Pro Painters. And I, I watched him one day being like the, the manic, crazy, fun, energetic boss of his 12 employees. And then the next day freaking out because a customer was like going to fire him and I had to go over and save the day. And the reality, there was no paint spilled anywhere. It was bird shit on the sidewalk. But it was funny watching somebody go through you know, the stress of the entrepreneur zone. So how do you work with, and what's your, your CEO's name? Uh, right now, Dave Milliken. So Dave, so how do you and Dave work where you can kind of provide more of the stability and the questions and the processes to that idea fairy and, and vision? How do you guys coordinate that? Yeah. Well, you know, there's another part of this too, and that's the lows, right? And so, you know, a customer comes in and, and like, they're really mad and is, is it this just a mad customer or is this a symptom of like business culture that we need to address? So, you know, acknowledging that like everything that is, you know, he's experiencing and feeling, whether it's the highs or the lows, they're all valid. Um, but really, you know, diving in and asking, okay, like, is this in line with our objectives here? Um, you know, you have to make hard trade-offs as a business. Sometimes you're not going to put the energy into perfecting your customer service if you're focused, uh, you know, in a different area, say launching a new product. And so, you know, really trying to center, uh, you know, those different ideas and, and work with Dave and, and all my previous CEOs and trying to figure out, you know, is this, is this really what we want to do? And sometimes the answer is uh, yes. And sometimes the answer is no. And you kind of have to like close the door and sometimes, you know, figuratively throw chairs at each other and, and talk about it and argue. Um, but, you know, once you pop out on the other side, like usually I'd say nine times out of 10, like you feel really great and, and you move forward. So and, and do you like you just said you figuratively close doors. Do you actually get away from the rest of the team to have those really good debates and, and arguments or do you ever do it in front of the team as well? Um, I, I, I believe in uh, building really transparent organizations. Um, you know, we we subscribe to like a, you know, a form of open books management. There's no there's nothing that's a secret. Um, we hold open strategy calls so anybody can come in and ask anything. And we're not afraid to answer those questions. But sometimes, you know, there are personnel decisions. Um, there are structure decisions there. Um, maybe maybe the company's grown and the role that somebody's filling, it's got nothing to do with them. Um, but that role just isn't a part of the company anymore, or uh, you upgraded the skill set. And so those ones probably aren't appropriate to have in front of the rest of the team, but everything else, like, let's argue, let's talk about, you know, what's the best way for us to, uh, you know, to hit our, our growth target for us to, um, you know, to validate uh, a new product. Um, and let's argue in front of the rest of the team, because they're going to have really great points too. And I want them to be thinking about all the same problems that we're discussing um, but obviously when you do it in an open forum, 
you do it respectfully and yeah. uh, you make sure that, you know, your team knows that you, at the end of the day, arguments don't mean that uh, like you're going in different directions. It just means like we're, we're making the sausage. Yeah, we're just passionately engaged in in a, in, a, in in the debate of it. So, tell us a little bit about Greetly. What what's Greetly do? What's your core focus, core purpose? Kind of walk us through that briefly. Yeah. So this uh, Greetly, um, our core product right now, uh, Greetly.com, is visitor management software. Um, and so, think you walk into an office, and instead of a uh, an iPad, you're met with, or sorry, a receptionist, you're met with an iPad, and we run the software behind that iPad does things like notify your host or uh, maybe you sign an NDA, stuff like that. Um, but actually where we're really excited about is um, we're moving into a different space and we're actually, we're, we're changing our value prop. So um, we were blessed to have won a, uh, a CIBR contract, a small business innovation research with the, uh, the Air Force. And they asked us to modernize their base entry system. So now we're going from warm, friendly, orange banner Greeley welcome to my office to, we manage 100% of the visitor workflow and volume that protects our nation's greatest assets, $100 million aircraft, top secret security vaults. And so um, with that, there's a change in actually our product. So, you know, you know, you pick, a, pick an industry or customer, maybe you're in manufacturing or uh, you're an R&D, you're a clean plant. You care about who comes onto your facility. Maybe not the same level that an Air Force base would, but you care who they are, do they have the right licenses? Where are they on site? Making sure that they're not going on the bottling line, they're only staying uh, in the area they're authorized and only giving them access during their visit. And then afterward, having a complete overall picture of everything that they touched while also delivering a fantastic visitor experience. That's the care right here. How do you make it better for the visitor and also increase the security, the transparency and the trust of anybody that comes onto your uh, under your facility. Dude, that's not even the same business. That's just like, like you went from, from your core customer before was probably small to medium enterprise or medium enterprise to now going to like past enterprise. You kind of jumped that. I hate the term jump the shark, but you've jumped that and you're now over to like government and military. That's not even the same category. So how have you learned? How are you, how are you learning to work in that space right now? <clears throat> yeah. So what, have, what are the challenges been with that? Well, it, one of the like, we're really launching a new new product, a new a new company, new company, yeah. All the same problems that early stage founders hit of like finding product market fit. What's the pricing look like? How do we not overbuild this? Um, because we've got developers, we're a software company, and where do we point them? Um, is it going to take us six months to get there or eight months? Um, we've got all those same challenges, but we also have a really robust existing customer base that loves our service. So that's probably the most challenging one because there's a bit of a split focus now. How can I serve you know, the, um, everybody that is currently using our product while also knowing that the strategic long-term direction isn't in that space? Are you gonna, stay, are you gonna stay with that first product then? Or are you gonna sell that off and then, and then move into this more enterprise government kind of space? Or do you know what you're doing there? You know, it's, it's a good question. Um, we're not, and there's a lot of options there that we, we could sell, we could transform the back end at the end of the day, we could make it robust enough to support both. And there's two brands. Um, I'd, I'd say all of that's kind of there. Um, but in order to create clarity as a company, um, where well, we are trying to pivot everybody in our company to start thinking about rather than like visitor workflows and mining yep. NDAs to, how do I, how do I reinforce the trust and security of an organization? And it's, 
a big shift and we're right. How many employees do you have now? Say that again? How many employees do you have now? Uh, we have 13 employees. 13. Okay. Oh, so you're small enough then. You're small enough that you can actually make that pivot. Again, another term that we both hate. Um, but you're small enough then that it's it's reasonably easy to move those people over. You're not going to lose, you know, 30% of your workforce because they can't work in this in this sector. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're lucky enough that we've got some really talented people working for us. And like, again, like if they hear the arguments and the conversations around how to make a pivot, like, I want them thinking about how to do it. And I want them coming up with the great idea, whether they're a customer service manager or one of our like sales reps. Um, and they do, they come up with great ideas and, and they're like, well, this new, this client I talked to today, I actually, I think they would care about like the security product and, and here's the features they cared about. And I think that here's the price point that they might actually be after uh, as well. So what are the skills that you're using today? The leadership skills, business skills that you pulled from the air force? So that's like, that's a, a good question because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't learn in the Air Force. I never touched financials, budgeting, uh, didn't know the difference or yeah, didn't know the difference between a project program and, uh, and product manager. Um, but what I did get was the ability to listen and, you know, really ask the right questions. Um, when I was in, I had to manage people that I had no idea what they were doing. Um, you know, we had, we had surgeons, uh, <laughs> experts in their field, um, asking for requirements and, and I, it was up to me to try to communicate, well, how do we get that to you? Like, wh- how do we make trade-offs and how fast or slow, um, how do we, uh, you know, put you in the right space and equip you with like, put you right next to the right people to make you successful. And then turning, uh, to these other guys who are, are doing engineering surveys and they're using, you know, GPS equipment and they want the next fanciest thing in GPS equipment. Well, how do I ask really great questions about, you know, is that the right use of resources? And then turn again, and I've got a, I'm managing weather guys, uh, and they, they've got a weather sensor network. And, and so not knowing what any of these different people do, but also being the one that they have to turn to, um, kind of forced me to, mm. to abstractify the questions I was asking. I couldn't be an expert. Um, and so, you know, having empathy and, and asking those questions and learning like when to judge and take out emotion because, you know, a department lead or a lead of a team cares a lot about what they're doing. Um, how do you as a leader like, distill that down and make good decisions? And it's really challenging and I continue to learn it today, but it, uh, that's probably the practice that I, I take with me the most. Take with you. And, and what was it that brought you into Greatly then? Uh, so we, uh, previous company was Viho, um, and we went through a COVID layoff. And so, um, you know, we were about 25 full-time employees at the time. Maybe, uh, it was a logistics company, uh, maybe 500 contractor drivers, uh, across three markets. And we had to make some really hard decisions because we were on a burn rate. And so me, the CEO and the CTO sat down and, um, decided that we were going to train the CTO to run operations. And so over the next three weeks, um, you know, had him take over dispatch, ground ops, all of the different th- client client operations, um, while also drilling really, really down, like hard into the PL. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make sure that this company survives? And at the end of it, um, had a great partying, stay on great terms, exercised my equity. Uh, one of the great things about early stage companies, and I continue to to be excited and watch them grow. Nice. And then, what was it about Greetly that that attracted you to Greetly? Then, uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, 
early stage, uh, you know, we have a great founder, a, like a vision of a really great product. Um, and so coming into that, uh, I said to myself, I want, I want to help with that. I see the potential. Um, and so also the ability to, to have a lot of influence and control over culture and build things in a way that like I really got to care about. And so, um, you know, this impressionable early stage company that, you know, need, needed structure to get to the goals that we want to be. I mean, ideally we're, we're twice our size in six months from now. Like that's what I would love to be able to talk about. Uh, and, and three times that, you know, a year from now. And so, you know, seeing that opportunity and to being able to be a part of that is, uh, was really what, what drew me in and, and sold me on Greeley. Very cool. So what do you focus on day to day now? Uh, my day to day is um, mostly um, helping department leads be successful in their, um, th- their different areas. We use a, a modified version of, of traction, the EOS uh, format. And so we've got, you know, five different departments and I help hold them accountable while also I am the department lead of both the, both the integrator, but also the department lead of our government sales, um, which is a, uh, um, kind of only coincidental because I was in the air force. It was, it was not the intent when I came on, but it happens to work out. And so, um, you know, making sure that this, like, how, how do we measure sales? How do we hold them accountable? Give you the resources? How do we give product what they need and figure out if we're failing or not, or doing the right things. Um, and, uh, and working with those people as well as, you know, figuring out with the CEO, like kind of very regularly, uh, like what are the major things that we have to like accomplish this week to be successful? What was it like selling to government, selling to the military? Uh, government is, for anybody that's worked in it, it's definitely its own animal. Um, not uncommon. Uh, not, not a bunny rabbit either. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it, it's not uncommon to send one email that you think is just a one person and then they go dark for three months, but it, you find out that that email got forwarded and, and now there's 50 people on the email chain and they've had a month worth of discussion off of that one thing that you said and they pop out and they just say, oh yeah, we're ready to do this. Or they, they signed whatever, like built and signed the memorandum that you needed or or uh, or, or said, let's move forward on on uh, building out like uh, an IDIQ contract. And you know, there's a lot of institutional knowledge as well um, even the acronym said is, is difficult to navigate. So it's, it's just a lot of working through the dark, a lot of personal relationship management, get a lot more done in a phone call than, uh, than anything else. But I don't know, it's a, this is just a difficult and different problem set. So, so, but, but selling to them specifically, like now you're working with them. How did you get in the door? What did you do to, to get in the door and get a contract with them? We went through the, um, the AFWorks Cyber project. Uh, process. Cibber is the small business innovation research, essentially a set aside that Uncle Sam has said um, we're going to give to uh, small businesses. Um, one, because we want to support small business and two, because we want to support new research. Um, and so they gave us a phase one, which essentially says go out and have a whole bunch of conversations, figure out if you can do something. Um, and uh, and then at the end of that, we popped out. Eglin Air Force Base was really excited about the possibility of our mm. product solving their problem. Uh, and so we entered into a phase two, um, which is a larger contract. And now at this point, we've got about 10 different installations on board that want that prototype, um, as well as more features and enhancements. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you're working within government budget cycles. So um, how, do you, how do you put it to them? Because they're going to sell it to their boss. 
Uh, so that, that was like the start and the initiation, but now like the real tough work begins of, of right. how to create enduring contracts and not just build a prototype. Really interesting that that was the way in though, was like a government grant program where a government subsidy that allowed you to go do the research for something that they weren't necessarily out buying. So you went out and did a proof of concept and you were in the door and then you used that door almost like the Trojan horse to, to keep working with them. That's super intriguing. Yeah, and we we were really deliberate about that. So our cyber contract $750,000 to build a prototype to modernize their base entry systems. Like what the heck does that even mean? And so we flew down there and you know, you do all the things, like you do detailed user interviews and and we used an agile approach. So we're putting prototypes in front of them every 2 weeks. Is this what you want? And you know, let's tweak it a little bit rather than a waterfall development, which is typical. And through that really close contact, um one we I think we nailed our product and two, we got our stakeholders super excited. So now any other base that wants to know, or they're skeptical of our, our government product, they get to call them now. And mm. how's it working out for you? Well, it's great actually. Um, and here's the next part. And now we've wow. got, like we've got our government stakeholders selling for us to these other uh, institutions. Um, and was it Techstars that, that showed you that program? How did you? No, uh, so we, I didn't go through TechStars with uh, Greatly. Um, I believe TechStars has a uh, Air Force Accelerator program, um, but but that honestly, grant that grant program that SIDAR or whatever it's called would Cibber S B I R. And so um, there's a cup. I think nine or different government agencies start like Department of Homeland Security, NASA, Army, Navy. Air Force has the most robust and easy to navigate process. And it's through an organization called AFWORKS, A-F-W-E-R-X. Oh. And, go ahead. Um, so they, they allow for open solicitations. You can just put out something and, um, or you can go contact a government user and, and tr- like explore the use case and, and you submit to the pool and they look at it and then decide whether or not you get this grant or not. Cool. We had a, a few of our, our members of the COO Alliance in Canada just got government grant programs for their membership as part of their leadership development. There's a, a grant program in Canada where if you develop your leaders or invest in their growth, they'll actually subsidize that and they're getting 75% of their membership coverage. So I know it's not going to change their business overnight, but they saved, you know, it's a $8,500 membership. They'll save six, seven grand. Um, yeah. If I'll add one more thing there, it's yeah. um, so we're, we're in the middle of a fundraise right now and, and, as part of the Cibber program, um, they've actually have a, a matching that you can do. And so the government will, uh, or the Air Force specifically will come in and say, we'll match dollar for dollar any outside investment to keep building this technology up to 1.7 million. And so that becomes an attractive thing at that point, um, both to investors and to the, uh, the government user who want to see this thing take off. And so, um, a lot of opportunities in there, but also very difficult to, to navigate. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, what are you focusing on day to day right now? And I want you to tell me a little bit about what it's like uh, going through this funding round that you're in as well. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm focused on trying. Uh, the government works takes a lot of um, a lot of my energy right now. We use uh, a lot of consultants and contractors, as well as the product development, um, and we're trying to close it all out, like the, the culmination of a year long project, if you will. Um, as well as using that to transition to the new product. And so working really closely with the sales team. So we, we run a product a product traction every week and we make sure that like, how are we validating the feature sets we're about to do? Um, and then uh, 
at the same time trying to transition the focus of the team. And so honestly, a lot of a lot of projections on the financials, a lot of uh, uh, detailed work with the product and sales team and deconflicting that um, against strategy. Um, I guess I forgot the, the second part of your question there. Just, I'm curious then what it's like. Yeah, that was part A. And then part B, quite, totally separate question. It was like me being classic entrepreneur. I hit you with two very different things. What's it like going through this funding round right now in, it, with, uh, with VCs? What's that doing to your business and focus and the team and what are you learning from doing it from going through it? Yeah. Um, the first thing is it takes up an absolute ton of time. Um, uh, I'd say our CEO is doing nothing but fundraising right now. It Mm -hmm. is uh, between first and second meetings and trying to find the intros and, um, adjustments to our pitch deck and, and refining our value prop really. Um, and, and then also once you get into those second and third meetings, due diligence happens. And so it can be really exciting and you need to respond quickly because you want to close this round. You want the investor to be excited, but these lists of things that we have to compile can, so like sometimes we're building them custom, you know, they want to see, they want to drive into some particular metric because they, you know, there's a risk there or what's the execution risk. And so um, how can we, how can we present our current client base in a way that helps helps paint the picture and tell the story that like we are making this shift successfully. And, and that reinforces, you know, what we're telling to current clients, existing clients and the investors. So it's a a bit of a roller coaster sometimes, Um, you know, one conversation can go really well and another can, you know, take a totally different spin. Uh, The feedback you receive is sometimes really useful and sometimes not very useful. Investors uh, usually never want to say no. And so it's to know how much to like keep continue investing um, in a soft no. Like, can I convince them or or should we just move on? How are you assessing that? How are you trying to assess if it's a soft no or if it's really a no? Yeah, I think what we do is we try to just pay attention to the trends. um, And we assume everybody will come back in if we, if anybody else is excited. our kind of way of thinking about this raise is investors uh, invest for two reasons. Um, one is traction. If you just have ridiculous traction, nobody can argue with it. And like, it just is there. Like you yeah. prove product market yeah. fit. And the other is FOMO, fear of missing out. And so if, if like, there's just so much excitement, then that does overcome a lot. And so, um, you know, we've gotten no's that, you know, we, we push out the next investor update and we get a call and it's like, Hey, let's have another conversation. And well, okay, I actually had thought you were completely out, uh, not even soft no, like hard no. And, and we push an investor update and we did the thing that we said we were going to do and now they changed their mind. So it's, uh, it's yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to it. There's probably people who do it really well, but. Yeah, that's, that's when, when I call it, it's time to sell the sizzle, not the steak, right? When you're trying to sell the FOMO or, or sell into FOMO, you got to sell them on the future and the vision and the excitement of where we're going, but you can't talk about any of the track record and data and where you've been because that's not exciting yet, right? Yeah. What about all the weird ideas that they give you? Because, you know, opinions are like assholes. We've all got one and every VC that you talk to has got opinions on what you need to be doing with your business. It's going to make it better that some might be good and some might be completely off base. How do you synthesize all of those ideas that are coming at you from all of these experts and decide, you know, which ones to say yes to, which ones to say no, and which ones to say not now? Yeah. Um, we, we get a lot of that, um, and on all spe- ends of the spectrum, um, some, some 
tell us that the only reason that they're not investing is because we have a government product. And others tell us the only reason we're not investing is because you have a commercial product and you should focus only on the government. Um, others have very strong opinions about the clients that we're trying to target or the price point. And they're like, you should 10 or 15 X that, uh, or you should only sell to commercial real estate or, you know, some sub niche. Um, and kind of the same thing with like the good ideas when they come across, like look at them, but realize, you know, maybe they're coming from a limited perspective. Um, you know, as investors, they see a lot of things and they see a lot of success, but the nitty gritty of how you get to like your real value prop, who's your ideal customer, you know, you, you, it's worth looking at sometimes, but um, you kind of have to stay the course with, if you like, you really believe in, in what you're doing. And sometimes you get hit with like a really challenging assumption and they're like, you know, um, I, I, I can't think of an example, but when those really good challenging assumptions come through uh, and it's rare actually to get one that's pointed and specific, but you should really look at that and mm. like bring it back and, and adjust and figure out like, is it a strategy? Is it a storytelling change? Um, what is it? So, and, and I know you mentioned you weren't a part of Techstars with um, Greetlave, so it was with your prior company, but any lessons that you learned as being a part of that incubator? Um, I shouldn't, say any. I shouldn't say any, like what are the top three? <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot. Um, uh, I guess, the, you know, the, maybe the first one um, would probably be around the human element. Um, so, you know, they, they do a really great job of accelerating your company, but how do you, how do you also take care of yourself? Um, and whether that's, uh, you know, a work-life balance or creating that balance for your employees and paying attention and how to conduct like a really great one-on-one not to make them better at their job, but to like improve like how happy they are. Mm. Um, that was uh, that was one of the really powerful things that came out. Um, the other was probably the mentor network. Um, it's probably one of the things I use most heavily now. Um, I've only been out of the military for two and a half years. There's about a billion things I don't know how to do. Sure. Um, but there are a lot of really smart people out there that, you know, I you know, provide value where I can, but when I need to like tap in and say, Hey, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hire a CTO right now. Our current one is, you know, we think he's stepping down. Like, how do you, how do you evaluate somebody like that and like build that out? And it's better than YouTube videos and it's better than, you know, medium articles. And then at the end of it, like you also get to tell them a little bit of story and maybe they want to be a permanent mentor. Maybe they want to be an advisor uh, or join your board. Um, and so that, the, that ability to reach into a bunch of people who are way smarter than you um, was probably the number one thing that I, I, I took out of the program. Yeah, it's interesting on the mentor network, how I think the school system really messed us up because it taught us that we were supposed to be the smartest person at all subjects, instead of realizing that we don't, we just have to know the smart people and reach out to them more, right? We have to reach out to them for advice or feedback or, or guidance or um you know, just gut checking on, on where we may be. Do you, do you still reach out to a mentor network now? Yeah, I, I use my mentor nef- network uh, very heavily. So whether it's, um, you know, professional groups that I'm a part of, um, like a C- like a COO group, we meet every month for like, it's eight of us and we sit down for lunch and we talk about problems and how we might solve each other's problems. You know, alumni networks are great, but maybe not as specific. Um, you know, the Techstars network, really great. Um, but a huge breadth of company industries and size and direction. Uh, so pretty much every problem I have, uh, I, I think back to myself, is there somebody that I know that 
would crush this problem. And if somebody comes to mind, I'll usually just send them an email. Hey, uh, can we reconnect? I'd love your opinion on something. And um, I found that really invaluable. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine, um, Dean Jackson, that, that uh, calls it a who problem. And then um, Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy, who I'm friends with, wrote a book called Who Not How. And it's all identifying, we have something that needs to get done. And our first question shouldn't be, how do I do this? It should be, who can do this, right? Or who can I reach out to that can, because sometimes we don't even have to learn how to get better at it. We just have to find the right who that can do it for us. Yeah. Do- I, I, for example, um, like uh, being a CFO, like I really don't think I need to develop the skills to be a fantastic CFO, but at some point we're going to hire one or there is a baseline of practices. So it would be a waste of my time to go learn out like how to, uh, you know, you know, you pick a skill set, um, whether it's you know, build great customer support teams or facility operations or uh, run manufacturing. Like I should not be learning that, but I, I should find the guy who does know um, and you know, leverage their expertise. Mm-hmm. What are you working on in terms of your skill set? I mean, if we, we go back to, we do have to get sometimes get better at some areas. What areas are you trying to get better at? Um, I'd say the finances are definitely one of them um, and organizing a team around those and creating them into metrics. Um, you know, the military does not have any metrics, at least not uh, in the space that I was in. And so figuring out like, how do you organize teams a little bit around that rather than around like a big mission, like we're, we're defending the United States, everybody, obviously everybody's on the same page, but how do you take, say a, a customer support team, you know, you know, six people all working really hard and you want to like make sure they're aligned with the business. And I think that metrics are a really powerful piece of that, that, um, you know, I, I'm con- trying to continue to improve there. And how do you, how do you leverage, how do you have less meetings, um, but cover more mm. and, Establish business systems to where you prep for yourself to be uh, two times your size while while doing like less essentially. And so I realize that that's a skill gap of mine right now. And so um, really trying to actively look forward to that because it's a looming problem and it'll be here soon. So yeah, I launched a course recently called Invest in Your Leaders, and uh, that's one of the actual core modules in the Invest in Your Leaders course. The other one is actually one on one meetings. Is I have twelve modules, and you mentioned one on one meetings. Curious what you do in your one on ones with your direct reports to help you know grow them, remove their obstacles. What do you like to support them as you mentioned, right? What do you do? How do you run your one on ones? Um, I one of the things that um I think maybe I do a little differently in my one on ones is um. I, we don't talk about specific, like we try not to talk about solving specific problems. Um, the one-on-ones are really to like, make sure that we have clean, great communication. I need you to deliver me feedback and I need to be able to deliver you feedback. You know, here's a, here's an area where I th- thought you could take more ownership. Um, and I, I need that, uh, my direct report to, to receive that. And my one-on-ones with my CEO, I need him to tell me, you know, like, Hey, I'm feeling concerned about this area of the business. And the only way that you get there is by really establishing trust. Mm-hmm. And so I try to keep them very open, um, very like, you know, exploratory. Um, how, how do you think it's going? And, you know, kind of dive in and like, where do you sense tension in our relationship? Like, where, like, is there any area in the business where uh, you're struggling with? And just kind of see where it goes from there. And, and really try to discourage getting into specific problems or like coaching um, and instead focus on the relationship um, because sometimes it takes like 50 minutes of just, you know, being frustrated 
and then you get to the breakthrough. And then at that breakthrough, you realize, oh, okay, you, you uh, like you're feeling, you don't know how to do this and you haven't been asking for help. Okay, all right, now, now we can really solve this problem together as opposed to um, you know, missing the mark by, by getting too specific. Yeah. Very cool. Good for you. All right, Chris, let's go back to the 21, 22 year old self. You're just kind of leaving college, getting ready to start off in your career. Or What advice would you like to have known back then? Like what advice would you give your younger self? This is a, this is a fun one. You know, a lot, a lot of me really enjoys my life path and doesn't want to change anything about it. Um, it might be to just relax, and, uh, you know, very, very motivated to do all the things, um, came from the, you know, special forces community and you know, everything has to be intense. And, uh, I think, I think it could have just, I would say, Hey, it's okay. Things are going to happen. Um, you know, just relax a little bit. Chill the fuck out. Of it. Maybe that's why cannabis is going to be okay. Right. <laughs> All right, Chris Morin, the COO for Greetly. Thanks so much for sharing with us today on the Second Command podcast. Thanks for having me, Cameron. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.